right, who's ready to get started this morning? Come on. Amen. Hey, so honored to be here with you today. So we've been in this series for the past several weeks called That's What He Said. That's what he said. And what it is is we've been, you know, it's not The Office. We're not watching Office episodes, right? Um, what, what it is is it's a conversation and a deeper dive into the sermon on the Mount. It's chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. And Jesus gives the greatest sermon of all sermons ever preached. And, and what we have been doing over the past several weeks is taking those and, and, and breaking them down about what they look like to us. Now, Jesus obviously was not uh, talking to us. He was talking to a group of disciples that have showed up as Jesus is teaching. And he's teaching these internal characters, uh, characteristic traits that we need to privately developed so that we can publicly live a faith that impacts people's lives. And, and as we've been looking at this, if you're anything like me in this series, because I know people think the pastor just develops the content and then it never does anything for him, but if you're anything like me, you've been challenged throughout this series. There's been moments every week where it's been like they stepped on your toes or they, you know, Jesus kind of pushed against a little bit of comfort or whatever that looks like. And I want to tell you this, if that's been you at all this, this series, if you've been here during the series and that's been you, I want to say, good! Because we have a phrase here at Radiate that's not actually a phrase, it's a truth, and it's this. God loves us right where we are, but entirely too much to leave us there. And it doesn't matter how long we've been serving God or how short we've been serving God. The truth of the matter is, he's always trying to develop us to be the best version of what he created us to be in the first place. And we're going to get it wrong. We're flawed individuals. We're sinful people. We're going to get it wrong. And he's always with grace and mercy. That's why I love what Ariana said today. Then he just delights and he loves giving mercy, right? Because he gives us that mercy and then he teaches us. And he teaches us which way to go in another way. And that's what this whole series has been about. If you've missed any of it, I want to encourage you to go back on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook page, on our website, on Spotify, on iTunes, whatever, and catch up on what you've missed because I promise you, it builds on each other. I promise you, each week is going to challenge you a little bit more on some private practices on how we can develop a faith that we can live publicly. Now, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give you a precursor today, all right? I'm going to go ahead and let you know right out the front, right off the cuff, that today, go ahead and take a deep breath, today we're talking about money. Yeah, that was the response I expected from everybody in the room. But it's, if you get mad about anything that's said, don't get mad at me. That's what he said. It's the Sermon on the Mount. We've just reached the portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus starts talking about money. And every time in church that I've ever preached about money, I say the word money and everybody goes, all the life gets sucked out of the room. And it's like, just breathe. It's okay. We're good when we're talking about Jesus, like forgiving our sins. We're good whenever it's like, I'm a terrible person, but Jesus is good. We're great with that. But don't tell me. You can tell me how to be a better uh, uh, husband or wife. You can tell me how to be a better parent. You can tell me how to be a better prayer, a better worshiper. You can tell me how to be a, Just do not tell me how to touch my money. And I just want to go ahead and let you know something today. I am not asking for a dime from you today. I'm not asking for anything from you. In fact, here's why. Because we, I just said it, we have so many generous givers of consistent tithing and generous faithfulness over, of generosity over and above their tithe that I'm not asking, Radiate Church, because here's what thinks. <laughs> Growing up as a kid, this is what I hear people say. Pastor preached on money today. We must need to pay the light bill. 
can I just tell you, we got our bills paid. We're good, right? We're okay. We have several months of, uh, of reserves in the bank like we're supposed to. Like we're getting ready and we're trying to figure out what it looks like to build rooms on the back. Like I'm just telling, like I'm not telling you that we have every dime we need for vision that we have. But I'm telling you we're okay. I'm not preaching this today because I need something from you. In fact, I'm preaching this today because I think Jesus wants everything for you. And I can't tell you to live a life God intends and talk to you about everything other than money when throughout the Bible God has a lot to say about it. And in fact, it pushes back on me. I'm not, I'm not immune to this. And so I just wanted to go ahead and let you know I'm not here for, uh, to get anything from you today. I'm here to give everything for you. In fact, my prayer all week long has been this. God, give us everything you have for us and teach us how to create enough margin to follow you with our finances. And Jesus, throughout the first Sermon on the Mount, we get to this section, and what Jesus begins to teach is this idea and this thought and this concept that is actually the title of the message today, and it's this, money is not our master. Money is not our master. It can feel like it is sometimes when it's unhealthy. It can feel like it is whenever debt is up to our eyeballs. It can feel like that. In fact, the Bible speaks to that. It says that the lender... Uh, or the, the borrower is slave to the lender. In other words, it's this. We have chains of bondage to where we are bound to others whenever we borrow too much. And we become a slave because of what we borrowed from people. And so Jesus is like, I don't want you to feel slave. I don't want you to feel bondage to everybody else, to a visa or to Capital One or to this or to Wells Fargo or whatever it is. I want you to be free to follow Jesus. That's what his whole thing is, is money is not your master. It's not my master. It's not your master. But sometimes here's what I know is it can feel like that. And if we go back and we think about last week's message as we talked about uh, what, he was, what, what he was preaching to us and trying to get us to develop privately last week, is there's certain things Jesus talked about, when he, and he never said, if you do these things. And one of those things that Jesus talked about was giving. Jesus never said, if you give, then you will. If you give. Jesus always said it like this, when you give. And here's why. This is a challenge for us. The base, one of the baseline expectations of someone that lives from, not for, from love for God is giving. And generosity. I know. Y'all are already looking at me with a blank stare. Can I just ask you to give me a chance today? Because it's not what I said. It's what who said? Jesus. He said. Jesus said. That's right. Jesus said, right? And, and, and the truth is, is, I began as I was preparing. I started to think. I was like, God, why is it that in church we're good talking about everything else you talk about but money? Why is it that we get uptight? I get uptight. Why is it that we get uptight every single time that somebody wants to talk to us about the way you talked about money? And I was reading some stuff and studying and searching for some things on, on money and what, got, what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount on this. And John Mark Comer kind of woke my mind up to something. He's an author and a pastor. And he, and he kind of woke my mind up to something. And it's this fact that there's two uh, kingdoms, there's two gospels that are at war in America today. The gospel, the word gospel means good news. So let's keep that in mind as we're talking about this. It is the gospel of Jesus, so the good news of Jesus, right? It's the good news of the redemption, the restoration, the forgiveness, the grace, the love, the mercy of Jesus, right? I think we can all agree that that is good news. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's the gospel of Jesus versus the gospel of America. 
the good news of America. Now, this isn't an anti-America message, obviously, but it's this. Here's what he's saying. The gospel of Jesus is he blesses us so that we can bless others. He blesses us with love. He gives mercy. He gives forgiveness. In fact, the Bible says, and after Jesus is the Lord's prayer, he says it like this. He says, if you're not willing to forgive, then you should not ask for forgiveness from your father. And so he blesses us with forgiveness to give others. Thank you for being with me today. He forgives love and mercy and all these things. He blesses us financially so that we can bless others. The gospel of America is the more you have, the happier you'll be. The American dream. If I have the boat, if I have the trucks, if I have the car, if I have the white picket fence, if I have the two and a half kids, if I have this, if I have that, all these things. And it's this thing that we've been sold. You've been sold. I've been sold. We've all been sold throughout our lives that if we achieve these things, then we've achieved the American dream. But nobody ever told us that their bills came along with the American dream. It's become a whole lot harder to accomplish the American dream than I ever thought it would be. Because I got the house, but I didn't know that there came other bills other than the house. I didn't know that there was a pest control bill, and I didn't know that there was a there was a, um, a, a, a a termite bill, and I didn't know there was an electric bill and a water bill, and there was all these other bills, and then there was taxes. I just thought you got the house. I didn't know you actually had to pay somebody to build the white picket fence around the house. I didn't know that when you got the dog, that the dog food didn't show up. You get what I'm saying? There's all this stuff that. Piles up, and then the two and a half kids, we love them. They're great. They're amazing. They're also expensive. Great day. day. When, I, when Cullen gets out of daycare, I'm going to be able to buy me that Ford Raptor with no problem. <laughs> it's all good. I, I actually have a Ford Raptor. It's just at his daycare right now. It's just being given to them. <laughs> Here's the truth. We all deal with these same things. But Jesus begins to turn this attitude and this perception and this concept of giving and generosity and finances on its head as he begins to talk about this in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, John Mark Comer has this phrase, and I'm going to go fast today when I go through the points, but i got to get this, this, this quote out. John Mark Comer has this quote that I read probably ten times, and I, I can't find an untruth in it, and I think it's really powerful and it's really challenging. He says this. He says, shopping is now the number one leisure activity in America. Usurping and replacing, and this is statistical, usurping and replacing the place previously held by religion. Amazon.com is the new temple. The visa statement is the new altar. Double-clicking is the new liturgy. Lifestyle bloggers are the new priests and priestesses. Money is the new God. There is a reason the only other God that Jesus ever called out by name was Mammon, the God of money. Because it's a bad God and a lousy religion. What a challenge. What a statement. What a quote to make us go, man, maybe we are putting a little bit too much into this. In fact, thinking about money, 1 Timothy gives us this thought in Chapter 6, verse 8. You can go ahead and turn in Matthew 6. That's where we're going to really be today. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8 says this. If we have food, so if you've eaten food in the past 24 hours, this is speaking to you. If you have food and you have covering, so if you slept in a house with a roof last night, in a bed. If you have food, you've eaten in the last 24 hours, and covering, if you have a house or a shelter over your head, with these we shall be what? Content. 
In other words, with those two things, we should be okay. But it's the striving for more. It's that if I have more, I'll be happier. And so now, since I'll have more, if I have more, I'll be happier. I now spend money to keep up with developed desires that marketing agencies have created for me. My truck is almost paid off, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and it's good gas mileage, and I'm good. But since it's almost paid off, I have to have another one. My... My iPhone is perfectly fine right now, but I paid it off, and it's good, and it still calls, and it texts, and it knows what I need, and I can watch videos. You can watch TikTok, whatever you want to do. My phone is good, but since it's paid off, i got to upgrade to the newest model that's really nothing different. It's just got a little bit more memory in it. You with me? Marketing agencies have created these desires within us that allow us to never be content with what we have, but it's always content with desiring more. And so Amazon.com has become the most, the most visited website in the world. I go to it like two or three times a day. I'll be like, I need shampoo, Amazon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Amazon has everything. It's amazing. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives what I believe are four things that creates happiness and contentment within our finances if we do it the right way. I'm going to go through these fast. So if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this stuff down. And if you're not taking notes, you're going to want to write this stuff down, right? And here it is. The first one's found in verses 19 through 21 of Matthew chapter 6. And it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where, moth, uh, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your what? Come on, say it with me. There your heart will be also. The first thing that he really gives and talks about is this. The idea of invest wisely. Jesus kind of hits this idea of we need to take time to make sure that we invest wisely. You notice that he, the wording Jesus uses, he doesn't say this. He doesn't say, hey, I know that um, your money follows your heart. So what, you, what breaks your heart and what you care about, you give to. That's not what he says. He says your heart follows your money. That's why we can be watching TV and we can see a child adoption or a pet adoption. Let's do a pet adoption. We can see a pet adoption commercial come on TV and it's sad. And it's got that violin music in the background. That's terrible. I don't know what violins sound like, but it's got the violin music in the background, and it's you. You get the you see the sad pup. I didn't know puppies could look sad till I saw that commercial. They can. You see the sad puppy in, in in a kennel, and it and it breaks your heart, and you feel sadness, and you well up with tears. We all do. They know how to create emotion within us, right? It it, it creates that, and that's why we can look at that, and we can ha- our hearts can break, and we can be sad, and we can go. I hope somebody adopts that puppy. But it won't be me. Why? Our money doesn't follow our heart. Our heart follows our money. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. You ever heard this phrase? I've said it. You ever heard this phrase? Show me your checkbook. I'll show you where your heart is. I'll show you what you value most. I'll show you what you care about most. For some of us, if we really do that, we'd be really sad to see that our, our car and our house is what we value the most. And see, the reality is, is I'm not here to like come down on anybody for that. That's just most people in America. But watch this. Hear me today. 
Jesus is saying, I want your heart connected to things that are connected to me. I want, I want you connected to me. I want your heart connected to me. And for that, your money has got to follow the ways and the values of the kingdom. He's teaching them, stop giving your money so that you got the nicest clothes and the freshest shoes and the greatest car and all this other stuff. I want you to give to what breaks my heart, what brings joy to my heart. Jesus is saying, I want your heart connected to my heart, and therefore you have to give to what I want you to give Two. Now listen, I don't think Jesus cares that we have nice cars, nice houses, nice boats, all that stuff. I really don't. I don't think Jesus, I don't think God cares if we have nice stuff. I think God cares if stuff has us. In fact, I know God cares if stuff has us. How do I know if stuff has me then, Pastor? Here's how. Can you get rid of it? What you can't let go of has now become your God. What you refuse to hold with an open hand is now your idol and what gets the attention of your worship. I can't let go of that job. It pays me way too much. What if God asked you to? I, I, but I, you just don't understand. It, it, it's my livelihood. It's how I pay for my, 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 my kids. It's how I feed my kids. It's how I do this. I understand every bit of that. But somewhere we have to understand where our allegiance lies. My heart follows my treasure. Are you with me today? That's why I'm teaching my kids to pay for their own dadgum stuff. It ain't to keep money in my pocket. It's because the other day, my son, my, my four-year-old now, went with some birthday money and bought a transformer. You need a rocket science degree just to put the thing together and, and all. It's kind of crazy. But when he breaks this one, guess what he does? He puts it together and he figures it out and he plays with it a lot longer. He's been playing with it for days and days and days on end. When I buy it for him, and it breaks. It goes in a corner. And he's like, peace, daddy will buy me another one. See ya. Because he's got an attachment to what he bought. You're, you're the same way. My first car, my parents bought. I didn't wash it much. I didn't keep the oil changed. My dad had to do that. Like all that stuff. I got my own car now. I keep the oil changed. I keep it washed. I, keep, I make sure it's taken care of. Why? Because it's my money. It's my responsibility. It's for me. Watch this. Jesus is really asking us to wrestle with this question of where is your heart? Is your heart connected to the kingdom of God or to the kingdom of earth? To the gospel of Jesus or to the gospel of America? Are you with me today? If our heart is to be connected to God's heart, then our treasure has to line up with what he values. Because if my treasure takes my heart, and I want my heart to be with his heart, then that means I have to give to what he wants me to give to. And I have to give to what he would give to. I have to give to that. So number one is invest wisely. Number two is found in verses 22 through 24. Are you still with me today? Yes. All right. Some of y'all are like, I'm with you, but I ain't liking it. All right, here we go. 22 through 24 says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness... How great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I mentioned these verses last week that had to do with something else, but he's specifically talking about finances and wealth, and I told you that last week. But the second part that he hits, number one, is invest wisely. Number two is focus wisely. 
He wants us to focus wisely. He talks about this. And let me give you some backstory on the wording that Jesus is actually using here. He, he makes this statement. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And then he says, if your eye is clear. If you go back to the original translation and you look at some other translations and the way that it's figured out and you go to other, maybe you have an NIV or maybe you have an NLT or whatever version of the Bible. And it says that the, that the eye is healthy. If your eye is healthy. If you go all the way back to the beginning, healthy is the word in there. And here's why. There's a phrase that we used in Jesus' day, and it was this, the healthy eye. If I were to look at you today and I were to say, Travis, you have a healthy eye, here's what I'd be telling you. It's a double meaning. I'd be telling you, the number one, Travis, you are focused on living with a high degree of intentionality. Well, why would Jesus be talking about living with a high degree of intentionality when it comes to money? Can I put it to you in our terms? Jesus is talking about budget. Dave Ramsey is actually on to something. Budget. He's saying, tell your money what to do instead of your money telling you what to do. Give your money a purpose rather than your money giving you purpose. Make your money work for you. He's saying you got to have an, an intentionality. you got to be disciplined. you got to go, here's where I'm going and here's what i got to do to get there. And then the second meaning is this. You are generous to the poor. So in other words, if you have a healthy eye, and as he's saying here, it's your life was disciplined in order to help you get to your destination with purpose. Are you with me today? Your life is disciplined to get you to a destination with purpose. And it would mean that your discipline has now allowed your heart to break for what breaks God's, allowing for generosity toward others in his church. Let me, let me put it like this. When we have a healthy eye that's focused on the right things and we focus wisely, I'm not as concerned about the new drink that Starbucks is bringing out. I'm now concerned about living my life disciplined so that I can get to the end goal, so I can get to where I need to be. And my budget now tells me that I can live in this way so that I have margin that when God speaks and brings somebody that's in need in my life, I can now bless their life. Why? Because I have margin for it. Because I've budgeted for it. Because I've been intentional about it. I've been disciplined for it. I've been generous to the poor. And not just the poor. I've been generous to people just because of the investment they've had in my life. And because I appreciate their friendship. And I appreciate them loving me. And I appreciate them teaching me and challenging me. And I can bless them and honor them in that way. See why? Because I've been intentional with what I do. And see, some of us, whenever we, we, we get hurt because our heart is connected to everything but the ways of God. Anybody in the room? It is super quiet today. Come on, somebody. The reality is, is that the King James Version actually says the, the opposite of a healthy eye is an unhealthy eye. The King James Version says it, it's an evil eye. Why? Because we're focused on everything but. We have no vision for our life, as Proverbs says, so now we live unrestrained. We have no budget to tell us what to do and how to live. And that's why our heart is more connected to Starbucks than the local church. That's why Target gets more of our ability and more of our finances than the missionaries do. Hear me today. I'm not against any of that stuff. I, I really don't care. I go to both of those stores. I'm drinking two Starbucks today. One is a tea to help my throat and one is a coffee to help me live. <laughs> but when I live with intentionality, I can go, this is how much I can get of that today. Because in two months... I know that God's going to ask me to do this. 
And I want to have the margin and the capacity and the ability to make that happen so I can be generous when he asks me to be generous. In other words, I'll put it to you like this. As a, I'm going to point three in just a minute. The way I see things, my healthy eye or unhealthy eye, the way I see things either causes me to live with an open hand or a closed fist. An open hand allows me to be generous whenever God asks me to be generous because I've created that capacity in my life. The truth of the matter is statistically most people in this room and most people in America live pay, pay, paycheck to paycheck. And if one paycheck was gone, you'd be poor without a house. And poor is the truth. Here, here's the reality about poor. You're not poor. Poor is a mentality. We may struggle, but we're not poor. We're, poor is up here. I don't have anything. I don't have enough. I can never get. You may be broke and you may be struggling, but poor is a mentality. Watch this. When I've created the capacity in my life through intentionality and discipline, living to live with an open hand, I can be generous when God asks. But whenever I have not created that capacity, I don't have the discipline, I don't have the intentionality, I now have to have a closed fist because everything that I bring in has to go to me because I'm living my life for me and whatever I can attain. And now when God asks me to give, I look at him and go, God, I really wish I could, but I can't because i got to pay Visa this week. Or God, I really wish I could, but I can't. i got to pay Capital One or Wells Fargo or you fill in the blank. All of which are not bad as long as I have intentionality for what I'm doing. Are you following me today? Invest wisely, focus wisely. Number three is called this. It's eliminate worry. In fact, if you go and read, I'm not going to read the verses. I want you to go home and read them for yourself and really digest them. It's verses 25 through 32 of Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus goes through these examples and he starts telling what we worry about. And he was talking to people that were really worried about a lot of things. They were worried about the food that they were going to eat, the clothes they were going to wear, and the house over their head, and the roof over their head, and all these different things. And they were worried, 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 worried. And Jesus begins to look at them and go, if you got God on your side, there's nothing to worry about. See, worry is nothing more than a matter of perspective. Most people that I talk to that are worried about something are worried about something that they don't even know if it's going to happen. It's just the possibility of it that worries them. Well, what if this person doesn't like me? What if they don't? What if my, my, my boss fires me next week? What if he does? What, what, if, then what if this and what if that and what if this takes place and what if that takes place? And sometimes the worst of the what if does take place, but sometimes the what if never takes place to begin with. And now we spend our whole lives worrying about something that we have no control over anyway whenever I serve a God that's created it all. And if I would just step back and go, you know what, God? You are the creator of the universe, and I think I can trust you more than I can trust me. So how about just eliminate the worry? And Jesus is going, I want you to trust God. In fact, he, he illustrates this message throughout. Yeah, let's go. Come on, for God, right in this room. We're going to wake up eventually. In fact, Jesus illustrates this message by using illustrations of birds and fish and flowers and fields and all this stuff. And why would Jesus use this specific language? Well, it all makes sense when you go back to Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26 through 28, this is what's said about you. Hear me, this isn't about just me. This is about you. It says this, it says, then let, And then God said, let us make man in our own image. According to our likeness. And watch this. This is where Jesus gets his knowledge of, 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 of the fields and stuff. And let them rule over the fish of the sea. And over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth. And over the cre every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Watch this. Here's the next part. And subdue it. Or... And take control of it. 
and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Why are those verses important? Because Jesus is trying to get everybody that is worrying about everything in their life to go, I, God has given you dominion or ownership or rulership over the earth. Male and female, you have dominion and rulership over this earth. And the reality is, is he's going, if everything you have rulership, ownership, and authority over is taken care of by God, how much more will he take care of you as the authority of the earth? Some of you walked in worrying today. I get it. I worry too. I, we all struggle with it. But can I challenge you today to just go, if he's taking care of them, how much more is he going to take care of me? And just remind yourself of that truth. He didn't create you by accident. He created you with authority. And everything you have authority over is taken care of by God. So how much more is he going to take care of you? Stop worrying. I want you to hear this. God knows. God hears. And God's got it. Whatever you're going through, God knows about it. God hears your cries. And God's got it under control. It's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. Even though it's pitch black dark right now, I promise you in Christ, there's a light at the end of the tunnel that we will get to with him. Number three, eliminate worry. Number four, last one. It's found in verse 33. But seek what? First, his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things. What are these things? All these things. These things are the things you are worried about. It's following the series of verses on worry. Everything you're worried about. He says, all these things that you're freaking out about and worried about, all those things will be added to you when you seek me first. Here's the last point. Jesus is trying to get us to understand. First things have to be first. First things have to be first. Stop seeking everything. This is what Jesus is trying to get through our, our hard heads. Then and today, like for me, I think if Jesus were looking me in the eye sometimes, he'd look at me and go, Brandon, look at me right here. And I think he'd look at me and go, stop it. You're worried about them liking your sermon. And you're worried about them doing what they're supposed to do. And you're worried about leading this way. And you're worried about this giving. And you're worried about that. And you're worried about this project. And you're worried about this person. And I know you're over like 50 churches, but the reality is, Brandon, chill out. Because if you seek me first, I think you look at some of us and go, stop seeking your iPhone first. Stop waking up to social media. I know. Sitting fun sometimes. Stop waking up to everybody else's approval. Seek me and my kingdom number one over everything else. And then your heart will line up with my heart because your treasure will go to what I ask because you're living for me and you're living from love and you're seeking me first. And everything you're freaking out about will be added to your life. What a promise. If we seek God first, everything else works out. So can I challenge you to do something? I got two next steps in a moment, but I want to challenge you to do something. Over the next two months, June and July, every paycheck you give, 
Even if it's direct deposit, do it with your phone. Take that and pray over it. And literally, before you spend a dime of it, go, God, thank you. It is only by you that I have this. Thank you for trusting me. Thank you for blessing me to be a blessing. And help me use this to expand your work in this world. And then go do what your budget tells you to do or in what God tells you to do with that paycheck. And I promise you, if you do that, I promise you your view and perspective on, church, on money will cause you to live with an open hand rather than a closed fist. And here's why. You ever heard the phrase, make your money work for you? That's what, when you study wealth, it says that all the time. Make your money work. Make your money work for you. Can I tell you the greatest way to make your money work for you is to put it in things that promise return. And God says, if you seek me first, I got you. You will get the return. I just need your heart lined up with mine, which means I need you to submit your treasure to my kingdom, no matter what. Let's live with a healthy eye, not an unhealthy eye. The ability to live with intentionality and the ability to be generous when God asks. Every week, <clears throat> here's what I love about Sermon on the Mount and Jesus in general. Every time he gives us a challenging word, he gives us an option to live it out or not. It's really up to us, not him. It's up to us. So you do not have to do anything that I said today. But I can promise you this. If you want to live a faithful life that makes a difference in this world, with every part of your life, financially, relationally, emotionally, mentally, every, every way, period, it'll help to live it out. But I can't make you. Jesus won't make you. But every week, I try to give two, one or two next steps to every message. I try to strategically work this in. And I came up with two this week. You don't have to do them, but I think it'd be beneficial for some of us if we did. Number one, we have this next step at Radiate Church. No gimmick, no play. It's just something to help you because we want to walk this out. Called a 90-day tithe challenge. Because some people are just scared. What does that mean? 10% is a lot. What does that mean to give 10% to the church? We have a 90-day tithe challenge. Here's what it means. All you got to do, we've already had people in the 830 swing by and do this today. All you got to do is go by the Connect Center and say, I want to sign up for the 90-day tithe challenge. And here's what that means. For 90 days, you commit to give 10% of everything you bring in to the local church, the place that you call your church, which would be Radiate Church today. If you're visiting from another church, go to that church and do it. And the truth of the matter is, is that we send you resources to help you budget, to help you do it. We send you scriptures. We send you all kinds of things to help you walk this out. We do not send you off by yourself. And if at the end of 90 days, God does not do what he says in his word that he will do when you tithe, I will personally write you a check back for everything you gave in that 90 days. Because I want to eliminate all the strongholds from you and let you know that tithing has more blessing than it does curse. Every time. So for some of you, that's intriguing. That's your next step. And I would welcome you to take that journey with me as me and my family faithfully tithe for years. Here's the other next step. For some of you, that's not that you already do that. Take the summer challenge with me that I've been talking about the past couple weeks. When you're in town, come to church. It's the least attended, least generous time of the year. Attend. Be a part of what God's doing here, number one. And number two, continue to give. That way, when you're on the beach and you're enjoying the waves and the seagulls eating your sandwich as you're sitting there, because you know they attack you. They're like drones. 
when you're there and you're enjoying that and you're giving to the work of God, people's lives are still being changed through the work of the local church while you're doing that and enjoying life. And I don't know about y'all, but I get a lot of enjoyment out of knowing that. So take that challenge with me. Here's what I'd love to do. I just want to pray over you. That's it. I want to pray over you. I want to pray over everybody online. And then I want to release you to go live out. Go enjoy Memorial Day. Go enjoy your family. Go relax. And let's take next steps to see what God is going to do in our financial life. Father, we love you. We thank you. We give you all that we have today. God, I thank you that you love us enough that sometimes you give us challenging and painful thoughts that we have to live out and figure out in our lives. And so, God, I pray that right now, in this moment, God, that you'd show us what it means to live that out every day. Let us make a difference for your kingdom. Let us be generous. Let us be intentional. And God, for some of us, we just got to learn how to get to that place where we can be generous. God, put people in our place. Put resources in our place, in our, in our lives, so that we can do that. God, I love you, and I thank you for every faithful giver. And I thank you for every person that gives everything they have to your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, Radiate, on your way out today, will you grab some invite cards and invite some people to join you next week? I love you guys. Enjoy Memorial Day. Have a great weekend. Be safe. I love you guys. Let's go change the world. We'll see you next Sunday.